Hi, welcome to Yes and No, Challenging Assumptions About People and Work, the podcast where I, Steve Hunt, and Kim Lear talk about challenging issues and questions where people tend to have very strong opinions, but there really isn't a right or wrong yes or no answer. And the conversation is informed by my background as a psychologist, Kim's background working in sociology. We do include in the show notes a lot of the evidence-based research upon which some of our opinions and thoughts are drawn, as well as bringing in a lot of our own experience working with companies all over the world that are wrestling with some of these very topics. Um, We always like to say in this that we're going to start by arguing and why we think the answer to the question is yes, then talk about why it's no, and then give our final thoughts. I want to say that when we're arguing the first part, we may say things that actually don't reflect our true opinions. If you want to know what we really think, listen to the end of the show. But we hope you'll enjoy it. You'll listen to the first part of the show, too, so you can kind of look at why other people may think things that, well, Kim, that I think are probably wrong. <laughs> Not that I'm opinionated. <laughs> and I'll come back to that on this show, because this is one we're talking about, should people bring their whole selves to work? So what do you think? Should you, let's, maybe we should set some context. And what does this mean when people say, bring your whole self to work? Before we talk about yes or no, I'm sure you hear this a lot in your work. What, what do people mean when they say people should bring their whole selves to work? Well, the way that I view the whole authenticity movement is that real cultural shift away from leave your personal life at the door Mm -hmm. (laughs) to a real pendulum swing to the opposite, which is, you know, we want your whole self in here. And it was kind of in like the late 90s where the academic community was really looking at like, what are the benefits of allowing people to bring their whole selves to work? How can that impact innovation and creativity, sense of belonging, community, all of these things? And then I feel like it really moved into the workplace and into HR policy in that kind of haze after 9-11, where because it it also kind of coincided with the beginnings of social media. And so you have social media, you have that haze after 9-11 where people were really in search of more humanity, more closeness, and social media helped deteriorate that barrier between our personal and professional lives. And so that's kind of how I view like when did this really move in to – HR policy into leadership training. And essentially what it what it is supposed to mean is exactly as it's stated, is you bring your whole self to work. And so the things that are going on in your personal life are now appropriate to talk about in the workplace. Um, you know, that I think of it as like the big difference between the Mad Men era and Google Nap pods you know so, so, so like something happened in between those two two big shifts i don't know if my whole self at home or work would ever spend time in a nap pod but um <laughs> well i think about my dad with this because like i remember doing the you know like take your child to work day or you know, take your daughter to work day and i would go with him and um my dad works in finance and to this day i mean he it full suit tie you know this whole thing and um and at work he was like pretty serious, you know, and uh, kind of earnest and all of that. But like at home, he was, you know, he'd wear like ripped up Beatles t-shirts and play basketball. And I felt like these two people had never met, like they had nothing in common. <laughs> and uh, now we look at how much the the norms of um, 
workplace connections have really changed. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I, I love your historical perspective on sort of the 9-11 where it followed. And then I think where it really happened. So I think it started to be talked about then, but I think where it actually really has happened was the pandemic and Zoom, where we literally, we brought work into our homes, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think there was a lot of really, really healthy things. So we're going to start on the yeses. On Let's the yes. do that. <clears throat> so, you know, there used to be this artificial dichotomy between home and work, as you're talking about your father. And people almost like were expected to act like you didn't have a family and children. I mean, as a matter of fact, I remember, and it was such a contrast to what happened after the pandemic, is I've worked remotely for 20 years. <clears throat> and I was on a webinar at the time. My son was like two years old and he was six. So he's home from school and I was, my, my wife works and I was home. And I was on this big webinar with like 200 people or something on it. And I tell my son, Antonio, when my door's closed, you can't come in. Well, that means nothing to a two-year-old, right? <laughs> that, that's an invitation <laughs> to interrupt <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> exactly. So I'm on this webinar and I'm going blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this is about 15 years ago. And then the door flies open. Here comes Antonio, <laughs> you know, super cute. Mr. Dad. I'm diving for the mute button while I'm trying to close the door. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, here's a chance for me to trash both my work and life simultaneously by yelling at my son on a webinar. And, you know, I tell jokes about that. But then I contrast that to what happened after the pandemic, where it just became normal for kids. And a matter of fact, people's reactions were probably what it would have been 15 years ago if I just let my son come in, which was, how cute. Oh, look at your son. Oh, you're a human. How delightful. You know, yeah. I, I kind of joke that the... um. The, the the pandemic in Zoom was, there used to be, I think it was People Magazine where they had this thing like, celebrities, they're just like us. They go to Starbucks. It was like, execs, they're just like us. You know, their kids knock stuff over. You know, it was like, it humanized us. Yeah. And I think that's been a real, real positive because people differ in how much integration they want between work and life. But this idea that you can separate work and life, like it, one goes in one box and one goes in another is absolutely not true and this integration of them is much more healthy much more authentic much more inclusive so i think that has been a real positive change so that's one of the first big things i'd say is we've already seen the benefits of people saying hey it's okay to be a human at work yeah don't act like your work self is totally different from your non-work self yeah and I think that when we look at just people's fulfillment at work, their connection to their workplace, their connection to their coworkers, we and you know in the show notes we'll look at the data about these organizations that have really doubled down on authenticity and, and vulnerability and those things. Their employee satisfaction is so much higher, and so there are like quantifiable ways to see how these environments really do benefit organizations, and. Within the pandemic, I think another thing that we saw is the the leaders who were able to show some vulnerability to really be authentic were able to build this trust with their employees that is so critical during a time of workplace experimentation, which is what we are in right now. Mm -hmm. Like, no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> and so leaders need the trust of their people. And so... I mean, I, I remember sitting in on some all hands meetings, you know, these like huge WebExes with, with clients and having leaders just, just mention that they're, 
they're in this too, you know, that they're also, you know, maybe they have aging parents and there's this elder vulnerability and and they, they have to figure that out. And there's these childcare disruptions. There was this, there is this kind of ongoing youth mental health crisis and that humanization of the workforce, I think in many ways was so beneficial just in terms of trust building, which the leaders who were able to do it they've got people right now who will walk on fire for them because they did it in the right way. Yeah, that that truly caring. I mean, we've seen this with the mental well-being and the willingness to talk about these issues. I mean, and and so much of that authenticity is particularly as a leader which we'll be interesting to talk about when we get to the no side about what leaders can do and what employees can do aren't necessarily the same thing when it comes to authenticity. Right. But um, yes, oh, yes, with power comes a certain degree of freedom. Yeah, <laughs> <And> <laughs> that's forgiveness. so true. But uh, but the authenticity as you're as you're talking, I just remember again also just from my own experience, um, you know, because kind of going, you know, I. Well, we both did, but I'm a little older than you, so I probably even lived through it more of this change from you're supposed to go to work and, like, dress a certain way and wear a tie even if you're not meeting anyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just stupid. And all these sort of things to this more authentic, be who you are at work. And, and I remember in my own life, one thing that had a big impact of this value of authenticity of leadership is <clears throat> my kids were small and I was traveling a lot. And I was getting to the point where I was really wrestling with travel and I say my wife works and just trying to balance those things. And um, the head of our sales organization, who is a t total type A guy, gets up and he actually said, he goes, I'm going to change roles because I need just to be around more. My kids are teenagers. I just need to be available in the home more. And that's why I'm changing. Now, he could have just changed roles and made it on some other story, but him sharing the personal reason why he was changing his roles and nobody was questioning this guy as a high performer, right? That really gave permission for me to think about that it's okay to have a life. It's okay to make these trade-offs and balances and that it's so much healthier than the way it used to be where it was like check your family and life at the door and mm -hmm. pretend they don't exist. Um, so I think that's been a real positive. One other thing I would add on the psychology side of authenticity beyond just being positive from engagement and career choices, there is quite a bit of research that also shows that Trying to act a way that does not feel authentic, you know, where you are hiding, and this would be definitely true when you get to like gender orientation and things like that, it is psychologically and physically unhealthy, you know, and it is damaging over time to try to pretend, well, I have to act this way because I'm expected to act this way, even though it's not how I would normally act. If you have any more to say on the yes, I think I kind of have like an eloquent transition into the no, actually. <laughs> well, I think I have one last on the yes. Okay. One last yes, on the yes. Yes, yes very, do that because I have, I have something where I can build on that point and kind of transition us in another direction. Yes. But yes, please. One more on the yes, which is very tactical, which is, you know, a lot of our lives at work are influenced by decisions made by people that we may not even know they're making these decisions. And if they don't know things about us, they may not make decisions in our best interest. You know, I, great That's story. Such a good point. Yeah. I I worked with a company that – it was kind of a funny story because I guess it a technology. But they were implementing this new staffing technology. And basically, it was automating all the processes that their HR people used to do. And their HR people, talking about change, they were like freaked out. What are we going to do? We're going to lose our jobs because now we can't process forms anymore. And the, the CHRO was like, 
I thought you'd be excited you don't have to process forms. But then he said this story and kind of getting to the point of authentic selves is he said, I have an idea. Why don't you go out and talk to all the employees in the stores you support? <laughs> like, what? Human resources talk to employees. That's crazy. <laughs> so he the, and he goes, don't no, no agenda. Just go sit down, chat with them. Just get to know them, yeah. which is to get to know their whole self, really. And just, hey, how's it going? What's going on? And he shared in the story that they learned so much of just sitting down. And he's, one story he told in particular, there was a woman that was viewed as a high performer and like promotions and all this. She was great. And she goes, I sat down and talked to me. So how are you doing? And she's like, I'm kind of sad because I'm going to have to leave. And they're like, why? Well, she goes, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a child. I can't work here and have a child. And they're like, oh, my God. Yes, you can. There's all these health care benefits and child care benefits. And there's all this stuff that she didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm right? Let alone the supportive attitude the company would take towards her. And if she, if they had not sat down and created that forum for her to share her whole self, that never would have happened. Her career would have gone a completely different direction. So I think there's a lot of value in sharing things about ourselves so that people can know us better because they know us better. They can do things, you know, in our best interests, but they don't know what our best interests are if they don't know what our interests are. Yeah. I mean, we could do an entire topic on the decisions that are made without talking to any of the people who will be impacted by that decision. <laughs> yeah, we'll do another show on should companies manage by spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. That's a but back whole to whole self. Topic. So you were, yeah, you're the saying, whole self. So, so we've talked about the yes, but tell yeah. me, what about, what's the no side? Well, I'll, I'll kind of bring us through a transition through the no, because the story that you shared about that like top salesperson who was able to be really open and vulnerable about wanting to leave to spend more time with his kids. High performers have kind of always been able to, in some ways, bring their whole self to work. I mean, there are a lot of um, accommodations and uh, acceptance that have traditionally been made for high performers. And even outside of authenticity, it's also like when we talk about flexibility, it's like high performers have also like usually had some flexibility too. But the reality is, is that organizations, especially large organizations, not every single person is a high performer uh, and a company wouldn't work in that way. And so there is this kind of other side, which is like, what do you do with, um, with everybody else? You know, what, what, what are they allowed to do and bring forward? Because if you're a, a B or C player, you know, if, if, if you do well, but it's, you know, you're not on this like fast track to promotion and that type of thing, are you allowed to say like, I'm going to slow things down because of all of these personal reasons. And then it's this kind of question of that balance between empathy and accountability. And where do manager? how do managers? Well, I think you're getting into one of these things and people's assumptions of accountability. And I think, and we'll do, we're going to do a future episode, I think, on should companies categorize performance and rate people as high performers. <laughs> um, but I want to be clear when you talk about like B and C players, these are not people that aren't valuable, but you know, companies can't all, it's like you can't all be the starter on a team. Totally. Right? And you're right. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have even, I shouldn't have said that because that's not, no, you know, but yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I, I spent right. a lot of time in that sort of conversation. But I think the point you're making is a really important one, which is, Look, the people that are totally authentic when they're leaders and all this stuff, they can say this stuff and it's not going to come back and haunt them in a negative way. Right. Where, a matter of fact, you even go to a really bad extreme. Um, there's a one of my favorite books called The No Asshole Rule, mm-hmm. which, which 
he talks about the reason people are assholes is because they tend to be high performers and they're allowed to be assholes. Right. right. They're bringing their whole self to work. And frankly, that's a part of yourself. I don't really want to see that whole, if you'll pardon that. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that that's, well. We, and, should, we should edit that out. That yeah. was like a really bad humor. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if I, but. I think something that was really interesting to me is that even before the pandemic, even though I agree that Mm -hmm. the amplified intimacy Mm -hmm. in the workplace during the pandemic really moved the authenticity movement in in a bigger, in a you know more intense direction, but before the pandemic, my research focus was on. I'll say millennial leaders, but young mm-hmm. leaders. So I, I was specifically looking at people between 29 and 39 years old who were directly managing five or more people. And the whole purpose of it was kind of to understand like if, you know, their their views on leadership mm-hmm. and management and their favorite parts, their biggest obstacles, things that they've been surprised by. And, you know, to keep in mind that this is the group that kind of was ushered into the workplace during the mm-hmm. authenticity movement, their biggest struggle, the biggest thing that came up in all of these interviews was like finding this line between friend and friendly and trying Mm -hmm. to figure out like, how am I supposed to be in charge of the team and like be part of the team? There was that aspect to it. And then I think something that happened during the pandemic is that top leaders were really vocal about mental well-being, about, you know, providing more flexibility for people and, and all of that. But the rubber meets the road somewhere. And a lot of times it was these frontline managers who were actually in charge of like figuring out what the line was a lot of times without a lot of top leadership insight. And so there are a lot of young leaders that I talked to where they either stepped into managerial roles right before the pandemic or during the pandemic. And all of a sudden it's like they have someone on their team who has chronically underperformed, but they know everything that's going on in this person's life. And what is this 33-year-old manager supposed to do? And so I think that that is I, – so I, I'm not even saying that this is an argument for like, no, do not bring your whole self to work. But I think it's a more expansive conversation about like how do we actually manage – in this environment. Yeah, I think that's that's really good because I'm kind of looking at this, the no reasons that I have. I mean, one is that I hadn't really thought about, but you're just sharing, which is that it does, it creates difficulties about managing talent and how much should we make talent decisions based on whole selves and exceptions, right? Right. Do we make an exception for a person because, well, you're not getting your job done, but it's because you're caring for an elderly parent as opposed to you're not getting your job done just because you're not getting your job done. <laughs> um, either way, from a production standpoint, you're not getting your job done, right? And so why is it one person's got more excusable than another? And that's kind of what's implied with some of the whole self, right? And I think that that puts managers and employees in a very difficult position. The other thing that's related to this, and I I would kind of argue three reasons why you should not bring your whole self to work. And one is about the employee, one is about the other employees, and one is about the organization in general. First of all, for the employee, there are certain things that you say about yourself, people will judge you on it. And they can't help it. There was a study done where somebody even identified as a cancer survivor. Just by having a t-shirt saying, I'm a cancer survivor, it changed how people made talent management decisions about them. Mm. They sort of implied, oh, you're probably weaker or whatever. You probably oh need to be coddled more. And it wasn't a big effect. But you can't tell people not to make implicit judgments. Right. I mean, it's not, these people are not being bad. You just 
you know, that sort of thing. You can't unsee that, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of things that you probably should not share if you think people might interpret it in a negative way. Unless, you know, now that's really hard because also, as I'll talk later, you know, some of the reasons people interpret things in a negative way is they're not considered normal. And when things are normal, we don't notice it anymore, right? But but the reality is that if you're the trailblazer, if you're the first Marine on the beach, you're more likely to get killed, you know, and that's, and so I think a lot of companies encouraging people to bring their whole self could be actually encouraging employees to do things that could hurt their own careers in a very inadvertent way. It's being done for positive reasons, but there can be a negative result. There's some things that are better to suppress about work. So that's the first one. The next one I want to get into is about coworkers. But any comments on that first before I dive to my second of three points here? Keep going because I'm just nodding over here, which I know that you listeners can't see, but I think that that's a very uh, good point. And I think that's a really important piece specifically for people making an entrance into the workplace right now in this post-pandemic kind of very vulnerable time of realizing that some of the decisions that we make today, some of the actions that we take today, even if it's subconscious, it's like all kind of falls under this reputation management of like, how do I want to be perceived? And what is my goal for my career trajectory? And I, am I behaving in a way that is conducive to that yeah. goal? And I think it gets, I mean, sort of building on that too. Um, one of the areas where I get concerned, I've done a lot of work with personality testing and assessments and all this, and I'm a believer in those things having value if they're developed right and used appropriately. But uh, some of the whole self movement is about people sharing like, you know, share all your interests and show all your personality characters and work styles. And I'm like, there's a time and a place to do that. But I would not, personally share my work interest with somebody without a very defined expiration date. If I'm talking about a certain job, good. But what I want now and what I want six months from now could change. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you put it into a database, you know, people will look at it, right? And that's why I, I, I would I would be concerned about how that data is used. And in particular, I was in a really fascinating conversation with several very senior leaders about personality testing and should you share personality tests. And they were across the board, no. They all valued them. They said they're good for development. They're good when you're making external staffing decisions. But they said, as far as having them internally, a leader said, look, there's things about my personality that I know, but the way I've been successful is I learned to manage it. And so, you know, there's a whole concept of emotional intelligence, which is basically managing your whole self. Right. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll use a personal example. It will, it will, it'll amaze you to find out, Kim, that I am very high on the critical thinking scores on personality, yeah. <laughs> right? With all the pluses and minuses that come from looking at everything as a problem to be dissected. <laughs> and a, a lot of my own career success has been learning not to say what I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people don't always want the gift of feedback. Yeah. And but you know, if, if somebody looked at my personality assessment, my whole self, then they would they wouldn't know that they wouldn't know. Yeah, that's true about me, but I know it's true about me, and that's why I suppress it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that that thinking about really being guarded in how you bring your whole self to work is really important for employees, knowing that there are unintended consequences. The second point is a little different, which is. What happens when the whole self you bring to work conflicts with the whole self of other people? And then probably the simplest example is bringing dogs to work. 
I know people that I like dogs, by the way, but I know people that love their dogs and all, you know, and I know, I know people that are deathly afraid of dogs. They were attacked by dogs when they were very young. They have a very understandable phobia and no saying your dog is nice doesn't work. And there's of course allergies and all these other things. And so one of the issues is when we bring whole selves and then when you get in areas like politics, it's even more extreme. You know, how do we bring whole selves in a way that doesn't make one person feel like, well, your whole self is more important than my whole self? Right. Which I'm curious your thoughts on that, because that's that that's a big issue. That does get into some of the work you look at sort of like generational differences, too. Yeah. You know, what some people think is appropriate for work, other people don't think is appropriate for work. Who's right? Well, I mean, I think that that um, – and not, now it's outdated, like now. But, I mean, I remember even for the uh, writer for, – for, the people that I used to work for, uh, you know, 20 years ago, there was all this talk about the, like, attire. Like, mm-hmm. that was just such a topic of conversation about, like, what senior leaders thought was, like, appropriate work attire versus what younger people did. And, not, you know, that's been alleviated, but I think that's, like, the easiest way to look at how that showed up. And then how we all kind of evolved to be a little bit more open with, mm-hmm. the, you know, with what that looks like. And... That kind of leads me into one of my no-ish pieces, which is that, and again, in the show notes, this will be there, is that what like professional authenticity is, is very much based in like a white male framework. And so there's a lot of studies about how um, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, black workers were like, I was never invited to bring my whole self to work. Like that was never going to be deemed appropriate. There's a lot of stories from the LGBTQ community of like, nope, I was left out of that movement as well. And so I do think that maybe on a positive note, something that the pandemic really did, and and I want to give credit where credit is due, is Lindsay Pollack, who's a wonderful writer and researcher. She's said this recently in an interview with the Financial Times, where she said that our concept of what it means to act professionally is widening. And I think that that is a good thing. But I would argue that up until now, the whole authenticity movement was uh, had really serious guardrails. Yeah, I will. And I when I come up my wrapping thoughts on that, I think you're hitting on that theme, which I think the big issue with whole self is we need to be aware of it. We also have to define what is whole self as a versus professional self, right? Right. And uh, and I totally agree with you that you know the what is defined as work was dominantly by white men who'd outsource their childcare responsibilities exactly. somewhere else. It's why I have very little patience for people that think we should all get back in an office. I've rarely heard that ever said by somebody who isn't a man, and almost I've never heard it said by somebody who has primary family care responsibilities, a long commute, usually said by executives who probably aren't even in the office very often, have no commute, and have zero child care responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly exclusive. There's nothing normal about going to offices every day. It's just normal for one generation. Well, maybe in a a different episode, we will talk about how – the evolution of fatherhood and modern family dynamics have just really transformed the workplace because I think that that kind of contributes to this conversation. Um, But I'll say in terms of also just one kind of no argument is that 
there's always this law of unintended consequences. <laughs> and there are two that come to mind for me with the authenticity movement. And one is that I love that you gave the example of like stars. They're just like us. Like here's <laughs> Julia Roberts, like buying apples or something. And then there was this moment of like executives. They're just like us. There were also a lot of moments of our executives are nothing like us. And I think that that was something that some executives did not foresee. And I can give you like the easiest example, which is um, I was in like a Slack group with a bunch of friends who work for, you know, different companies and we were, we were working on a project together. And one of them, they work at a very big company and they were in a meeting and their, the executive who runs this team had their camera on. Um, they were at their second home in Palm Beach in this beautiful home office like you know just incredible and his team I mean they were they're primarily in New York City and you've got people like hunched over that you know in these like studio apartments and it was this like oh my god their reality is so different from mine my experience in this pandemic is so different and I think that that was something that people just didn't totally think through when they were just little things like your background. Well, I think it is the whole self. It can it can bring people together, but some aspects of whole self can drive organizations apart. This yeah. harkens back to our earlier episode about politics um, with the awesome Voltaire quote, which if people listen to that episode, go back and listen to it just for the <laughs> Voltaire quote that Kim shared. But the, um, the this is the last one I talk about whole self. When this first... When I first got exposed to the diversity movement, and this was like, you know, I'm dating myself. There was this Hudson Institute Workforce 2020. The world's getting more diverse. And, and you know, they kind of discovered the word diversity and started calling, you know, and looking at this. And I went in. I was working for a company <clears throat> that had a lot of engineers. And I went in and was talking to one of the engineering managers about this idea of, you know, inclusion and authenticity and diversity. And he listened. He goes, I understand. He goes, yeah, I understand the point that you're making. But he goes, you know, one of the reasons we work together so well as a team is that people do leave a lot of themselves outside. And he gave the example. He said, on my team, I have a person who's the head of Planned Parenthood in our community. And I have another person that's extremely active in the Right to Life movement. On mm. the weekends, they're literally yelling at each other, right, on the sidewalk. He goes, but they get along well at work because mm. they check that part of themselves at the door. And I look and I do see in organizations that when people start, you know, and again, Caveat here, this is me just arguing the no. I don't completely agree with this, but I think it's a good point that I see when organizations, when people start sort of bringing in your whole self, there's certain whole selves that you're supposed to bring in and other whole selves you're not. I mean, I work in the tech industry, you know, which tends to have one political leaning. And I know people in the organization that there's all this banter and conversations about whatever social cause and they have, they don't agree with it, but they just stay silent. They're like, I'm not allowed to bring that part of my whole self because it's the wrong kind of whole self. Right. So I think that we really have to be careful in this, that we can, it's hard enough to create inclusive, well-structured teams that are cohesive. On the positive side, some aspects of whole self does create connection. Hey, you have a dog. I've got a dog too. But on the other hand, there's other aspects of whole self that can create tension. And I think that's yeah. the real challenge of this. So yeah. any last thoughts or should we wrap yeah. this well, up? I'll, yeah, I'll do my, my last thought, which is um, I remember many years ago there was an article that Adam Grant wrote in the New York Times. And he was talking about the authenticity movement. And he had said, authenticity asks that you bring your whole self to work and leadership requires that you bring your best self. And it's something that I just personally have like kept on the top of my mind in my 
experience. Um, and I'll end with just sharing like a, my, my own thing of coming into the workforce mm -hmm. during the authenticity movement. The first company that um, I worked for was very much into that. And, and we were all very young. We were very enthusiastic and very much our whole selves. And I started managing people fairly young and I was effusive in my positive reinforcement. And so, you know, people would, and part of it really was my genuine enthusiasm. And then I think part of it was my most authentic self is kind of a people pleaser and I want people to like me. And so someone that I was managing would bring, bring something to me and I would be very quick to be like, incredible. I mean, best thing I've ever seen. You know, it was just, it was, and part of that is a maturity thing, but I had a great leader. Her name was Deborah Arbit. Hopefully she's, she's listening and can get her shout out. And she had pulled me aside. I mean, honestly, I must've been like 23 years old. And she is, she just suggested when they, when people who you're managing bring you something, just give it a beat, like take it from them and just say, thanks. And I'm going to review it and I'll, and I'll get back to you because she said it can hinder their performance if they feel like your bar is their first draft, mm -hmm. right? Like you don't know what they're capable of mm -hmm. because you haven't given them that maybe the feedback that could help them grow. And to this day, I think about that feedback. I think sometimes I can be a little bit like, you know, effusive and that type of thing. And maybe that is my quote unquote authentic self, but I would say it's not my best self and it's definitely not my best leadership role. I think that, well, that, yeah, it's great. Is it that ties like the, the experience of my critical sort of thinking. Yes, you exactly. Know, my, my best self is not my authentic self in that sense, um, which I think is really powerful. I mean, my take on the whole self is. In general, yes, it is good. We would strive for a world where we could bring our whole selves everywhere, but we don't live in such a world because everyone's not like us. And part of getting along is getting along with others mm -hmm. and and finding common ground. And, um, you know, certainly that's true in relationships, any form of relationship. You know, part of it is what you don't do. In every relationship, you have that moment where people talk about, you know, you're not giving enough to the relationship. I think everyone who's had a <laughs> lasting relationship has had that conversation, hopefully not too many times. But... Um, I remember my wife for having that conversation. And I wanted to say, and I did have the intelligence, the social intelligence about to say it. I want to say, you're not seeing all the stuff I'm not doing. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you see my amplifier? It goes to 10. I never turn it past two. See all those CDs I haven't played since we've got married? <laughs> you know, it's like, but I had the wisdom to know that probably would not have gone over very well. <laughs> but the point is a lot of effective relationships is knowing what to suppress and what to bring out. That's what emotional intelligence is. Right. If you look at the actual definition, of it. It's active, you know, management of how much of our whole self we bring through based on the relationship and we're trying to connect. So when I look at that, I think part of it is recognize that there's always going to be an aspect of suppression, I guess, associated with work. Um, it's why it's called a role. It's playing a role at work, just like acting. At the same time, though, we need to be really careful to make sure that we only ask people to play the roles that are relevant to the part they're playing. And historically, to your point about all these things that reflect dominant culture, which was mainly white male, expecting people to act, you know, a different way when they didn't need to or to suppress aspects of their life, like having children and stuff like that. You shouldn't have to. 
Um, and that the more that we can redefine what is professional work or normal work to bring in more people's whole selves, the better we'll be as a society because people know more about each other. They can form more connections with each other. They're more authentic. They're more comfortable. It's more psychologically healthy. So we should constantly be pushing to challenge what is a professional role. What does it look like? It should be more and more expanded. But we need to do it cautiously because if people overstep their role or they go in, it can hurt others and it can really, really hurt their own career, you know, in totally unintended ways. And going back to that, you know, so I think that's that's the challenge we have. So I really kind of think on the whole self movement, it should be bring, I like that, bring your best self. Mm-hmm. Don't bring your whole self. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot to add. I am I am in agreement. I am very for having workplaces that are filled with humanity and allow people to be vulnerable. And we should be cognizant of what people have going on in the domestic sphere because I think it is so unrealistic to think that these two spaces in our lives are not constantly impacting one another. Um, but yes, that idea of best self, I I believe in it only because... It is something that I have had to work on and I have seen the impacts that it can have in my own life. So I think that is where we land. And I would just say that, and maybe a conversation for another time, is that I do think that the, that in this kind of post-pandemic-ish moment, mm-hmm. um, one of the big leadership areas of growth is going to be this line between friend and friendly is going to be this line between accountability and empathy. And I wish that, you know, for, for all the listeners, I think both Steve and I wish that we could give really clear, like, go do these five things and all these things will be solved. But rather, I think that the case studies and the learnings are going to come from exactly what is being experimented with right now. Yeah, I think one, if I would give a, a prescriptive suggestion, because I've seen companies that do this well, Part of creating a really inclusive, diverse culture is starts with defining what you're not going to be diverse on in the sense of there are certain values and beliefs, objectives, you know, companies that provide employees with very, you have, you have clear goals, you know why you're there. I am here. I'm accountable to accomplish these things. We value these sorts of behaviors. We're supposed to behave in this way. And why? Because these things affect the success of us as an organization, as a group. Because remember, an organization is a group of people that come together to accomplish something they couldn't do on their own. You know, and it's when you join an organization, you have an obligation as a member to support the goals of that group so that it can exist. Companies that really define that really well, but then they can encourage maximum diversity around everything else. That is where I think I see you the most success. Because then you're really clear saying, these are our values and behaviors. These are your objectives. And the reason we have those is they're critical to the survival of the organization. It's achieving its mission. But if it's outside of that, bring it in. It mm-hmm. makes the world more colorful. I think that is a lovely ending right there. Uh, yes, that that is perfect. Thank you all again for joining us. Again, in the show notes, we'll have the you know additional reading and the citations and sources and research and all of that. And we will see you next time on Yes or No.